Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to verse 20. That can be found on page 1177 of the Pew Bibles, page 1177. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of your righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alistair. Please do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. We're, we're back in the armour of God, and uh, we're going to be thinking um, a little bit about the front line. I suspect that most of us um, here have little clue what it's like to be on the front line of a, a, a battle. Uh, it's impossible, to, I think, for us to fully appreciate what it's like on the front line for, for soldiers in battle. Um, there was an attempt a few years ago, um, Sky TV um, tried to bring uh, some sense of it into our living room through a show called um, Ross Kemp in Afghanistan, and there was another one, Ross Kemp back in the front line. You might remember those a few years ago. Um, and they tried to sort of show what it was a, a little bit like, a little bit about. Uh, he... He reported um, this when he was on the front line. He said, conditions in Afghanistan are intolerable. The heat is stifling and there's the constant threat of snipers, rocket-propelled grenades, attacks and landmines, bullets fizzed by inches from our heads, hitting the ground on either side of us. It was the most frightening experience of my life. I was so scared. Life on the the front line is a, a matter of life and death. And the situation that Paul is describing here, using the image of battle and the front line, is also a matter of life and death for us. For the Christian will find themselves, we will find ourselves fighting on the front line. It will be dangerous, it will be frightening at times. 
Because when we step out and serve Jesus Christ, when we step out and follow Jesus Christ, we're sure to find ourselves on the front line. That is what Paul is is alluding to here. And there will be all kinds of flaming arrows. And you may be experiencing flaming arrows this morning as we look crucially at the fourth piece of the armour. We need this shield of faith. Our text this morning, Ephesians 6, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Our God, our Father, we thank you for our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of faith. And we pray that you'd strengthen that gift in us today as we face all kinds of trials and difficulties, as we stand on the front line. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment just to pause and think about this shield. What is the shield of faith that Paul is alluding to? What was the role of the shield in the armour of that day? And I expect perhaps as you hear the word shield of faith, you might be thinking sort of more Braveheart. Um, which, and in Braveheart, they had those sort of Frisbee-like shields of about that sort of size. Um, that's actually not the kind of shield that Paul has in mind here. No, the shield he had in mind was a massive Roman shield. It was more like a, a door. It was usually about two feet wide and about five feet high. It was called a scutum and often was used in uh, groups. Uh, there was a thing called the tortoise that they all grouped together as they moved forward. Um, but it was a big thing. It was like a, a door. Now, the shield was only used at particular times in the battle. And I think that's what Paul is picking up here, or at least pointing to, when he says in verse 16, in addition to all this. Paul is saying, in addition to everything else that you have, you've got the belt of truth, you've got the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel... Take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit. You see, it says the first three items that uh, Paul talks about are the kind of permanent things that you have on all the time. Um, Your shoes, your breastplate, your belt. And so even if there was a, a lull in the battle, you would still have those on because they're about um, readiness, about preparation. But at crucial, critical moments, um, perhaps when you were right up on the front line, you would need these other three, these she- the shield, you'd need the helmet, and you would need the sword. So that the first three are kind of like your preparation, the sort of long-term preparation, and the second are critical for moments on the front line, perhaps when the, the heat is really on. When things are difficult and the moments in the battle when it is crucial. I sort of thought about it a bit like um, watching England cricket uh, players playing. And you know when you see the batsman who's waiting in the pavilion, they've, they've got certain amount of the clothing on, they've got their whites on, they've got some protection on. 
Um, and they don't take those off because they might be called into action. Um, but when they actually go out on the front line, they need to pick up, put the pads on, have the bat ready, and those kind of things. At least I, I hope you understand that kind of analogy. It's about being preparedness, um, about being ready, and what you pick up as you go out onto the front line. You see, the shield was used at that crucial stage. It might be when you are trying to besiege a city and you're facing a big um, wall and you needed your shield. Because if you think about it, at that moment, you are at your most vulnerable when you're trying to besiege a city. Um, There would be all sorts of things being hurled down at you by your enemy. At that most crucial moment, flaming arrows are perhaps coming down. Or maybe they're throwing molten lead over the wall (coughs) at you. In doing this, what is the enemy trying to do? What's, What's the purpose of the enemy? Because the purpose of the enemy is to try and instill panic and fear and doubt in you so that you might retreat, you might do a runner, you might flee from the battle, from the front line. It sounds very uh, disconcerting, and the image is meant to be a little bit unsettling and and disconcerting for us. Imagine flaming arrows coming over the top. Imagine seeing fellow soldiers around you taking hits. It's a critical moment in the battle, and Paul's using this image deliberately to heighten our senses that we should be ready and prepared. So this shield is something you take up in the front line at the crucial moment. But what are the flaming arrows that it talks about here in verse 16? The flaming arrows of the evil one. Well, whenever the Bible talks about flaming arrows, or flaming or fiery It has to do with suffering. If you look at the New Testament, you will find that all over the place, where flaming or fiery is used. It's usually about suffering and enduring in times of trial. So, for example, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials. And it literally means fiery trials. You are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Faith, you see, prompts us to continue to believe in God and to trust in God and in his promises, even when Satan tempts us to despair and to do a runner. The shield of faith, that door, if you like, is something we have to get out for a particular time in the battle during those fiery trials during the darkest of times, the times of tragedy, the times of great failure or disappointment, the times of bankruptcy or illness, the times of marital difficulties, the times of redundancy, the times when the devil comes along and attempts to plague us in our minds with with all kind of doubts about God's goodness. That's what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to say, oh, he's not good. He's not going to help you. Just why don't you flee? 
And I'm sure many of you here this morning know that experience. Many of you may be going through that experience right now of the fiery trials. And when all these sufferings seem to be raining down on you, and you don't know where from, of course they can leave you shocked, they can leave you vulnerable, leave you in a state of panic. There's not just, you see, there to to harm you, but to make you flee the battle in fear and doubt, so that you might run and hide. And Paul tells us that the point you must, at that point you must take up this shield of faith. Because faith is one of the greatest gifts. And it means, and the means by which we can stand against the devil's lies. But I want to just sort of pause for a moment there and ask a question. But why? Because I think this is a question that often is on all of our, our minds when we hear this. But why does God let this happen? It's a big question. I haven't got long to think about it. But I'll just say a few things about this. When the flaming arrows seem to be rocking our faith or giving us cause to doubt and leaving us in a state of fear and collapse, we often, you see, turn to God and say, why, don't we? We say, why are you letting this happen to me? And I think it's really important to realise at that moment, God never willingly afflicts you. No, that, that is the purpose of the evil one, Satan. But God's purpose, God can use these afflictions to actually refine you. His purpose is, you see, always a good purpose. He can take the frontline situation, however bad it might be, and he can change it, he can transform it. The Bible talks about suffering being a, a refiner's fire. It's one of the images the Bible uses is a refiner's fire. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Think about that image for a moment of the refiner's fire. Think about that gold as it goes through the refining process. Before the gold goes through that, it's, in a sense, it's, it's a bit unusable, isn't it? The gold ore has to go through the fire to make it pure and usable. Before it goes in there, it's full of impurities, it's full of um, potential, but it has lots of dross. Once the ore is in the fire, the heat reaches a critical point and the dross is consumed and the gold is purified. You see, when you get into that battle, when you're in at the front line, in the fire of the front line, it's the moment, I suppose, of greatest potential, but it's also the moment of greatest crisis, isn't it? It's a great potential for, for being transformed and for God using you, but it's also the moment that you could just turn away and abandon it all. I think perhaps 
the Bible gives us the, the greatest example of this is in the life of Job. It can be quite a hard book to, to get your head around, but in Job we see Satan coming along, accusing Job, really, of being a hypocrite. And, and Satan says to God, does Job serve you for nothing? I'll show you that he's only in it for the blessings. He's in it just for the, the good times. He doesn't really love you, God. And Satan looks at us and says the same. I'll show you, God, that, that they, those Christians, they're all just hypocrites. They don't really follow you. They're just in it for the good times and what they can get out of you. And so how do, you, how do you actually in that moment know the difference between a servant of God and a hypocrite? And of course, where you take away, you take away the things and then you'll see. And that's just what happens in the story of Job. Satan thinks that by taking away things from Job, taking away his family, his friends, his wealth, his health, that he'll be found a hypocrite. And will curse God. And God, God lets Satan do that to Job. But only so far. He'll only let it happen so far. And then why is he doing that? Why would God allow that to happen to Job? Well, Satan and God have these two different purposes for the fire. In the moment of the fire, in the moment of the fiery darts. Satan uses the fire to destroy and to consume. But God wants to purify. God wants to refine. God wants to transform. And what happens to Job in the story? You can read it for yourselves. Well, he almost curses God. He nearly does that because, let's be honest, he's just like all of us here this morning who, if we claim to be Christians, both serving God And yet, at the same time, we know that we are often hypocritical in many ways. You see, when we're in the fire, in the place of the flaming arrows, in the heat of suffering, we realize we all have that kind of split personality. That there's kind of two of us. Part of us that wants to serve God, and yet there's part of us who wants our own way, to go our own direction and be attempted to abandon the front line and abandon God. The fire, the suffering, the fiery darts showed Job that both were in him also, that kind of split personality. And of course it's in us as well, it's in us this morning. You see, in each of us there is gold, but there is also dross. Before the fire... Gold and dross together, but in the fire, in those moments of testing and trial, there's a choice, isn't there? On the front line, there's a choice that we can make. And which way will we, will we go? See, Job thought that, that what would happen to him, he thought he, he knew best. But in the end, he knew he needed to repent. He needed to trust God and have faith in him. He needed it, in a sense, to get the door out, the shield of faith. And at that moment, the dross fell off. He recognized his own pride. He was purified, and he became useful. And God blessed him in many 
ways. He was transformed. So how, how are we to use this shield of faith? How are we actually to, to take it up? Let's just conclude with this thought. Using, how do we use the shield of faith? Well, firstly, I think it means looking at God by faith instead of ourselves. Looking at God by faith instead of ourselves. When, when you look at yourself, when you're always looking at yourself, looking at your own dreams and hopes and longings and problems and realize that actually there's nothing compared to the glory that is in store in Christ Jesus, the promises of God's blessings that are in store for us. At that moment, you put the shield of faith up. Because you're not looking at yourself anymore. You're looking at things that are unseen. You're looking by faith at the substance of things unseen. Faith is looking at Jesus and seeing what God has done in him. Job made it. Why? Because God showed up. God spoke to him and said, don't you see the problem? You think you're wise, but... But where were you when I stretched out the heavens and called the stars into being and named them? And when Job saw the greatness of God, he was refined. He experienced who God was and what he was like. And so when you and I and our dreams, when we see our dreams are are nothing compared to the wonders of God and of what he has in store for us, then we will... At that point, we are taking up our shield of faith. When you go into battle, don't think that you're smarter than God. Instead, say, my dreams are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. Look at God, don't look at yourself. That's the first thing to do with the shield. The second thing to do with the shield of faith is really actually to expect it expect flaming arrows. I think sometimes we wonder why this is happening to us, but the Bible is always telling us that we should expect it. We should expect flaming arrows. Um, Whenever we step out for Jesus, whenever we engage on the front line, the evil one um, isn't going to trouble you if if you're not there, is he? He's not really worried about that. When Jesus uh, was baptised and empowered for his earthly ministry, what immediately happened to him? He was tempted, wasn't he? He went out into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. Jesus Christ enters the front line. He enters the front line. At that very moment, flaming arrows are descending on him from every direction. Why should we expect anything different? The crisis point in life, when the flaming arrows are raining down, when they come from outside, from Satan, aren't they? What do I mean for them to come from outside? Most of the time, because we carry around in our own hearts all kinds of temptations and evil thoughts. But sometimes I think there's something that comes from outside. Have you ever had that experience when... It sort of almost feels as if something is entering from outside, kind of thoughts suddenly assault you, such vile, violent, blasphemous thoughts. Do you ever 
Ever experienced that kind of thing? Where you're tempted to accuse God or doubt God and abandon him, and they seem to burst in on you, and they kind of come from nowhere. And you say to yourself, what kind of person am I to have thoughts like these at this point in my life? And when Jesus went into the, the desert... When Jesus entered into the wilderness, he he didn't have any sin within him. He yet went into the desert and was tempted. Things came in from the outside, didn't they? Accusations. Not from a sinful heart, but because the evil one was coming in with his fiery arrows, hurling them at Jesus. And of course, when you serve the Lord... As we move out as a, as a church, to grow as a church, to, to serve God in his church, the evil one will do the same. And what do you do? You have to realize that they are from outside. They are from the evil one. And you have to take up your shield of faith. You have to take up that door and stand beneath it. Turn to God and say, Yes, I know I'm capable of all kinds of evil thoughts and actions that come from my heart. Yes, I know them. I bring those along with me, but I hate these thoughts that seem to repulse me, that come from the outside and seem to cause me to doubt or reject the Lord. I ask you, Lord, to protect me. I stand behind the door of faith, the shield of faith. I stand in Christ Jesus, saved not by my own purity, not by my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. That is faith. That is how you resist this assault from the evil one. You take up your shield of faith, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saves you and can protect you from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we, we know these times when we're on the front line, when we're seeking to serve you and walk with you, and the evil one seems to rain down fiery darts, causing us to fear and doubt and to want to flee the front line. Father, we pray at those moments you would strengthen in us the gift of faith, that we may take up the shield of faith, that protects us, that extinguishes those arrows. Father, we we pray that as individuals, but we pray that as a church, together, as we take up our shields collectively. Because we know, Father, as we're called to grow, as we're called to step out, to change services, to do all sorts of mission work for you, that the evil one will not be happy. And we pray that collectively we may take up our shield of faith that we may trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, for we ask in his name. Amen.